Thanks so much to the team. You guys can be seated. That's great. Thanks so much for leading us this morning. I love that. I really appreciate it. Good morning, good morning. How's everybody doing? Doing all right? Yeah, it's cold out there, eh? Woof. <laughs> I was talking to our greeters this morning, and I just said, hey, you know, thanks for doing that. And they said, you know, it's not that bad. I said, I don't want to be within 20 feet of the door on this side of the door. <laughs> like, it is cold out there. Anyways, thanks for braving it. Uh, let's pray together before we get started here this morning. God, thanks so much for the opportunity that we have here uh, to freely come to learn uh, to worship, to sing, uh, to dig into your word, and to see uh, what you're going to try to teach us today. And God, as you do that uh, through this time, I just pray that you would uh, take my words and ideas and um, just make them yours, make uh, this time about what you want us to hear, whether it's all something the same or it's all something a little bit different. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so uh, we've been going through the book of Acts and Paul's missionary journey here for the last few weeks, and this is the last week that we're going to do this, so we're going to do a little bit of skipping ahead, and so I'm going to have to fill in a couple of the blanks uh, historically for you just so what we're about to talk about makes sense. I apologize if it gets a little bit historical heavy this morning. I'm going to try to give you the content uh, without putting you to sleep. Uh, and then leave you something with something that's helpful. That's my goal this morning. Uh, hopefully, we can do that. So uh, this is going to be, like I said, our last week going through uh, Paul's uh, second missionary journey. And I've got a map here of Paul's second missionary journey that should uh, come up here in a second. And so I uh, showed you a little bit ago one of all four, but this is the journey that we've been talking about. And so Paul made four of these journeys uh, to different places to teach primarily Gentiles about Jesus and about him being sort of the fulfillment of the scriptures and the Messiah. Uh, and you can see he goes through a bunch of places, right? Tarsus and Antioch and uh, up to Philippi and Thessalonica. And there's a couple of ships in there, obviously, in Ephesus and then uh, back around, uh, back to Jerusalem. Now, I'd like to just leave that up there for a second. I'd like to point out two other things uh, that I'm sure many of you know, but I think that it's worth going through because it, sometimes I've just noticed this is stuff that we don't talk about that often, so i just like to make sure I give context. First, our New Testament, of course, is a book of documents and letters uh, and stories about the time you sort of right after Jesus was here, right? It's, it's a documentation of Christ's time in those first early years of the church. And if you're new to church, if you knew your, your New Year's resolution was to go to church or to come back, uh, or you're somebody who's just sort of figuring your faith out, or maybe you're uh, like a kid or a student and you're not sure about all this stuff yet because nobody's talked to you about it, you will notice that in our New Testament we have a lot of uh, uh, books that have really big, weird names, <laughs> right? And we don't really talk about that uh, very often. Uh, but, you know, we, we start to look at a map like this and we figure out where uh, all of these names come from. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look for a little bit of participation this morning. Don't be shy. So in the New Testament, we have First and Second Thessalonians. And that was a letter that was written to the people in? Very good. Thank you. Okay. And First and Second Corinthians was written to the people in? Good. And uh, Ephesians was written to the people in? Good. And uh, Philippians was written to the people in? And Timothy was written to a guy named? Right. Good. <laughs> 
Right? Pretty simple. So we don't talk about that that often, uh, but what we do say is this, and this is kind of that second thing, and if you can <clears throat> just give me a minute. Sometimes everybody's got little things that bug them, and I'm just going to let you into my brain at my own peril for just a half second. Here's one of the things that kind of bugs me. We will very casually every once in a while, we'll say, Paul wrote about half of the New Testament. We'll say that, right? Paul wrote, depending on whether you think it's 13 or 14 of the letters and books that are attributed to him, uh, historically, it's somewhere between 42 and 48% of the New Testament. And we will just casually teach people and we'll say, Paul wrote half the New Testament. And I'm here to just say, uh, if that's a way you explain it, would you consider maybe adjusting that a little bit and saying, Paul wrote letters to all of these places. Because what Paul did is he was so passionate about getting the message of Jesus and the fulfillment of the Scriptures out that he made all of these journeys to all of these different places to teach people about Jesus. People from a different culture or people from the same culture, Jewish folks who needed to know that next part, that second piece. And when Paul wrote all of these letters, and so we're going to skip past this, but when he made his only trip to Ephesus, which is in this second missionary journey, uh, you know, in Acts 19, he leaves Ephesus and everybody's very sad because he says to them, I'm not coming back. I've I've done my work here, but I'm just not going to be able to make it back into this city. But he does write them a letter. And I'll bet you dollars to donuts that when Paul was writing letters to these places, to encourage them, to guide them, to teach them. He wasn't thinking, one day they're going to leather-bound these things up and it's going to be a banger. He was thinking, I need to help these, this church in this place in this time. And so when we start to teach people about the gospel, this goes all the way back to something we were talking about four weeks ago, making the gospel message accessible, making it easy for people to get to know who Jesus was. When we talk about our Bible, instead of saying the Bible, would you maybe start getting a little bit more specific? Because I think that helps people have a little bit better understanding of how your Bible came into being and how to read it. Okay, if I had a soapbox here, I would now get off of it. I apologize. Thank you for giving me that moment. Uh, And let's uh, take a deep breath, and we'll dig into our scripture here uh, this morning. I just think that's really important. I think the context is important. Okay, so today we're going to pick up, like I've said, at the end of Paul's missionary journey, right? So he's on his way back to Jerusalem. So he starts in the bottom right-hand corner, he goes all the way, and then, you know, he's, he's on his way back. We've talked about the beginning of this journey where he goes to Jerusalem and they have this meeting, this Jerusalem council where they say, uh, we need to figure out how to make the gospel message more accessible to the Gentiles while still holding on to the integrity of the gospel message. So he does that. And then he travels on a little further and he gets arrested and and, uh, delivered and delivers the jailer. We talked about that. And all the way through, he visits all these different places and more and more people become believers. And now he's on his way back. He's on his way back to uh, go back to Jerusalem to report back, but also there's a little bit of trouble afoot. Because for as excited as those who are excited about Jesus and the way are to hear about the great things that Paul have done, there's still a little bit of unrest around the traditional Jewish folks who are saying, uh, I think that you're still pulling us away from the things that you know, we know and, and our, our traditions, and we're still bothered by this. So 
Paul is headed back to Jerusalem to a bit of mixed reviews, which I think happens sometimes to us in the church, and we're going to get that uh, in a little bit. When we sort of go out from the four walls and maybe we meet with people that are outside of our culture or our context, uh, and we come back and we say, hey, listen, we were hanging out with these people and telling them about Jesus, and, and people look at us and go, you were hanging out there? With where? With those people? And Paul's dealing with a little bit of that right now, and it's going to come back and there's going to be some people that try to use it against them. So let's dig into this here. Uh, We're skipping all the way ahead to Acts 21, uh, starting in verse 17. I would encourage you, if you're curious about filling in the gaps, maybe this week go home and and read all those sections again between Acts 16 and 21, just so you got the full picture here. When we arrived at Jerusalem, the brothers and sisters received us warmly. This is, again, uh, Luke writing the book of Acts. The next day, Paul and the rest of us went to see James and all the elders were present. Paul greeted them and reported in detail what God had done amongst the Gentiles through his ministry. When they heard this, they praised God. Of course they did. So Paul comes back. He goes to the early church leaders, those who are excited about the Gentiles knowing more about Jesus. And he goes, we have been to all of these places. We've been gone for a long time. And a lot of people have come to know Jesus. And James is excited, and a bunch of the rest of the leaders, they're really pumped because they know that more people need to get to know who Jesus is and what he did. And so Paul's report is a huge encouragement to that group of people. Then they said to Paul, this they being uh, those, the leaders of the church, you see, brother, how many thousands of Jews have believed And all are zealous for the law. What he's saying is many, many people have believed, but they still are excited about and cling to the scriptures that we all know. They've been informed that you teach all the Jews who live among the Gentiles to turn away from Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or live according to our customs. What should we do? They will certainly hear that you have come. So first they say, We're excited about the impact, but this other thing is happening. What's happening is, is that there are folks that are coming in behind you or people that are trying to discredit you. We talked about the importance of integrity last week. There are people coming around that are trying to discredit you, and what they're saying is is that you're going to all these other places, and we've talked about what you're supposed to do with the Gentiles. We're giving the Gentiles a bit of a break on some of these rules because we understand that there are cultural differences. But what they're saying is that you're also going to the Jews that want to follow the law and you're telling them not to do it. And so this is beginning to try to discredit Paul because this is a bunch of Jewish leaders, traditionalists in the church going, uh, you're trying to just totally turn everything around. You said you weren't going to but you are, and we're a little bit upset about that. And so the more that they can discredit Paul, the less Paul travels and tells about Jesus, the better off uh, they think that they're going to be. So they think they have a problem. Now, Paul loves the law, right? We know about Paul's history. Paul is an expert in the law. And although he's a person that agrees that Folks that are outside of the Jewish culture need a little bit of an adjustment to make sure they get to know Jesus. He's still sitting there going, if we can follow this thing, we should. So he still loves it. So what are we going to do about this problem, Paul, that we have, that these people are coming behind you to discredit you? What are we going to do? So they say this. So do what we tell you. 
Here's a suggestion. There are four men with us who have made a vow. Take these men, join in their purification rites, and pay their expenses so that they can have their heads shaved. Then everyone will know that there is no truth in these reports about you, but that you yourself are living in obedience with the law. Now, this is a, a hugely loaded little section with a lot of history that they would have understood, but if we're not ingrained in the culture, we don't know. So I'm going to try to make sense of it as quickly as I can here. So there were uh, ways that you could, uh, purification rites, purification methods, times that you would go through to show that you were purifying yourself, that you were, again, following the laws of Moses. And there's a moment here where there's these other people that are about to go through this process. And so what the early churches, James and the rest of them, their suggestion is go through it with them. Not only that, they're going to have to make sacrifices, so they're going to have to buy animals to make sacrifices. Why don't you cover the cost of that? So not only will the other leaders around see that you're covering the cost and you're in support, but then you go do it with them. And that should help the Jewish leaders around you see (laughs) that you're still really a part of who you say you are. You're holding on to that integrity part. You're not trying to draw everybody away from the things that we've believed all our life, but you're actually just trying to prioritize Jesus while you're doing it. I think this might work. Can we do that? It's a good idea. And then Luke sort of repeats. We don't know whether he repeats this part for our sake as the reader. Or have you ever had a conversation where um, you decide something and then maybe something doesn't go right and then you reconvene with the people and you go, this is what we said, right? Like, we, we decided on this and this and this and when I did this, this happened, but, but it was supposed to go the way it was supposed to go. And everybody goes, yeah, yeah, you did the right thing. And you go, okay, phew. So we don't know if Luke says this next part for our sake or because they're just having a reassurance uh, conversation. But he says, as for the Gentile believers, we have written to them our decision that they should abstain from food sacrificed by animals, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. So we talked about this already a couple of weeks ago. This was to separate cultures from paganism um, and Christ. And so then the next day, Paul took the men and purified himself along with them. Then he went to the temple to give notice of a date when the days of purification would end and and, and the offering would be made for each of them. So then Paul follows through, like we talked about before, the importance. Now, what happens directly after this, and we're not going to read through uh, that whole section today, is that Paul still gets challenged by the Jewish leaders. He still gets yanked out of the temple, he still gets arrested, and he still gets accused of not doing the things that people think he's supposed to be doing. He's put into doubt. His integrity is called into questions in some degree by people that have come uh, from other places that Paul was, and they've come to Jerusalem to try to discredit him, all in the name of trying to turn people away from this new way and focusing on the law and the Scripture and the things that people already knew. It's a big focus on if we can keep control of this part of it, then it doesn't really matter the other part because we want to make sure we've got a handle on everything that's going on. And so these are kind of the observations as we moved all the way through that I've sort of made here. The first is that the people that knew what Paul was trying to do never doubted his ability to do it, right? James, 
the early church leaders, the other people that he went around, the people that knew what Paul was trying to accomplish knew how to judge what he was trying to accomplish. They said, we know what your mission is. We know what your purpose is. We know what your goal is. We see you going after that goal, and so we can support you in that. And the folks that didn't clearly understand what Paul was trying to do were either uncomfortable with it or flat out tried to discredit him and say, you're not doing the right thing. My challenge is in the church, I think sometimes we do that too. We will see uh, somebody uh, hanging out with a group of people that maybe we wouldn't. Or we see a program doing something that we don't know what's happening and we go, is that really what we're supposed to be doing? Is that really what the church is all about? That's kind of what's happening here. Because we just don't understand the mission. We don't have a clear purpose of what the goal is and what's happening. And as a person who um, enjoys pastoral work and this part of uh, the job, but also really, really loves <laughs> the mission and the purpose of what we're here to do, like the Great Commission and the Greatest Commandment, right? Love God, love others, make disciples. That's the mission. That's our goal as a church, what we should be doing, bare minimum. I'm a person who really likes to know clearly what's going on. And so for me, this really stood out because I think as a church, when we know when we're headed, when we know where we're headed and we know what we're supporting, we know how to get behind the people we're trying to support and boost them up and encourage them. And we can see what happens when that's not the case. The people that know the mission go, great job. And the people that don't know the mission, even though something good is happening, try to discredit that thing that is happening. Here's the second one. Paul goes outside his religious circle to teach about Jesus, and it's the religious people that give him the most grief about it. Paul goes outside his religious circle to teach people about Jesus, and it's the religious people that give him the most grief about it. Sometimes we think we're going to go out and we're going to teach somebody, we're going we're to make that step with a friend that we know, we're going to step into faith and say, God, I'm going to try to share the gospel here, can you help me? And that's nerve-wracking for us, but depending on where we do it or the setting, sometimes the people that give us the most grief are the people in our own circles. Should you really been doing that? Is that somewhere where you should have been? Should, is that an environment you could have put yourself in? Maybe you could have done it safer. Could you have done it somewhere else? It's the religious people that gave them the most grief. Paul's integrity is called into question not because of what he was doing, but because of who he was hanging out with. <laughs> And that's a tough one, you know, for us because, you know, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. If we want to be welcoming, if we want to be encouraging, we, we need to understand the people that we're trying to reach. We need to make sure we reach them in a way that holds the integrity of the gospel but also allows us to actually bridge that gap. I was talking to a pastor, a friend of mine, a little while ago, and once she was going through seminary, um, and it, this was a, like a second career for her. She was going through seminary, and she had to do this project where she had to uh, um, run a church service. It was part of her second-year seminary stuff. She, she had to organize and run these church services. And she went to her professor, uh, and this, this wasn't too far down the road from here, actually. And she said, I'd like to um, set up a church service in this strip club that I know that's close to where I live, 
um, because I know that they don't start until 11 in the morning, but a lot of the people there are, are there early. And so if I can go in at 7, 8 in the morning, do a little bit of pastoral care, talk about Jesus, maybe run a service, maybe some people that would never have heard about Jesus, people that, um, that really need to hear the gospel, would have the opportunity. And that she had it all planned out. She had a good plan. It was safe. She had thought about all the different pieces. And she brought it to the prof. And the prof said, that doesn't count. That, that's not a real church service. That's not, that's not where we're supposed to be. And she was like, oh, <laughs> come on. <laughs> right? She had integrity. She had the pieces together. But it was the religious people that gave her the most trouble about spreading the gospel. Do we do that? I don't know. I'm sure not all of us do. I'm sure some of us shake our head and go, but, but all of us, remember that, remember that first week where we saw the list, that girl made all that list of I want my boyfriend to have this and 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 this. One of those things that's on our list that's on the back of our head as Christians that we don't talk about is we want the environment to we spread the gospel to be safe. <laughs> They're not all going to be. We can be prepared. We can go in with a plan. But sometimes we need to trust that God is going to do something great. And that's what Paul did, and that's why he's such an amazing example for us along his journeys. And that sort of leads into the third little bit here for both Paul and the rest of the early church, is that if we're going to spread the gospel, we need to get a little bit uncomfortable, right? It's really easy to say, hey, come to our church, come to our four buildings, come into our walls, come into our environment, and then we'll talk to you all about this stuff. What every church struggles with, like I do too, and I'm not looking at you going, you should, like my, I find myself in lots of circles that are outside traditional church circles where I need to talk about and act in a certain way, and it's nerve-wracking sometimes, and it's hard, and it's intimidating. What are you going to be? It's, it's uncomfortable. But that's key. If we're going to make disciples of all nations, if we're going to spread the name of Jesus, we need to get outside of our comfort zone. I know another pastor who's a, a, a Hungarian guy um, who uh, in Bucharest, in his, in the, which is the capital of Hungary, his hometown, uh, he planted a church in the most communist neighborhood <laughs> that was in that city. And everybody's like, you're a crazy person. And he went, well, we'll see how it goes. And not only did the, some of the government officials end up coming to his church and enjoying him, but he did so much for that local community that when he had to go, they were sad to see him leave. We talked about being a magnet to Jesus the other week. That's what he was, but it was uncomfortable. I heard some of the stories. He, he got outside of his comfort zone. And I'm not saying that everybody needs to go way out there, but we all need to find ways to go a little bit out there, right? Paul traveled the world four times. To do this and knew that he was going to face criticism when he did it, yet he knew he had his integrity and he was able to hold it anyways. Um, the other, you know, and again, just this is one of the other things that I've noticed, and I'm, I'm trying not to get myself thrown out or, or off the stage here, but this is just something that we do in the church. So I was a youth pastor for, I don't know, 13 years or something like that. And so something that I would notice a lot, and I don't know if you guys have dealt with this or any other students that are maybe watching this morning have dealt with this, we talk about evangelism a lot. We talk about spreading the word of Jesus a lot. 
<laughs> in Sunday school, at home, how important it is to make sure other people know about Jesus. But then what do we do? We make sure that our kids' environments are super controlled. Don't have any friends that aren't Christians. Where did you go? Make sure you're on the whatever. You wouldn't believe the amount of 17-year-olds that I've run into that their whole life have been taught to evangelize but never given the opportunity to be in front of anybody that needed to actually hear the message. It's wild. Because we want to be safe. We want it to be comfortable. We want to be in control of it. Because what if something happens and they actually get an idea in their head that's scary and we need to sit here and go, oh, what if Paul thought that? None of us are here. What if the person that brought you to Christ thought that? Are you here? And I'm not saying we're reckless about it and we don't know our people. I'm saying Paul had a plan. I'm saying it's time for maybe us to get outside of our comfort zone a little bit and really sit and go, if we're really serious about people hearing the gospel, what do we need to do personally and maybe as a church to help that out? So, as we conclude this four weeks, kind of here's what I'm sitting on. If the world's going to learn about Jesus and we're going to be a part of it, then I think as a body we need to kind of think about three things. Maybe more, but I'm a pastor and so that three is the number. If it was four, I would have been doing something wrong. And it's just the last three weeks, right? We need to talk about being welcoming. We need to know who we're trying to reach. That's important. Paul knew who his audience was. He knew how to talk to them. He knew what they needed. The message didn't change. The integrity was there, but he understood how to talk to the folks Excuse me, he needed to talk about. So as a church or as a family or as an individual, we need to sit here and we go, who are we going to reach out to? Where are they at in their journey and how can I actually help? The second thing we talked about a couple weeks ago is we need integrity. We need the people that we are talking about Christ to to know that they can believe us. So we need integrity in our personal lives, in our faith, accountability. We need people in our lives to sit back and go, hey, I think you missed it there. Can we catch up? We need that. And the third thing is if we're going to teach people about Jesus, we're going to have to get a little bit uncomfortable. We can't expect people to come to us. That very first week, we talked about the amount of people that are non-religiously affiliated anymore, right? Going from 4% of our country to almost 50% if you include people that are agnostics and atheists over the course of the last 50 years. That's a huge number. They're not running in our doors. It's the, there are a lot of beautiful church buildings and amazing worship sets and gifted speakers, but the reality is, is if we're going to get people to know Jesus, we're going to have to get a little bit uncomfortable and get in front of them. And I'm thankful that over the last four weeks, we've been able to look at a tremendous example of somebody who was able to do that, which is Paul. He went out. He knew he was going to get in a bit of trouble. He knew it was going to be uncomfortable. He knew some folks were going to look at him sideways, but he went, the message of Christ is too important to just sit here in my heart. People need to learn about it. So I'm going to take the skills that I have and I'm going to go. And so I would encourage you to think about that this morning. That doesn't look the same for everybody. Not everybody's going to run a morning strip club, strip club church service. That's not where everybody's skill set is. 
Some people are going to sit here and go, I'm not really built to evangelize. Well, if you're a Christ follower, then you're built to talk about Christ. So let's simplify it. Let's start there. Let's look at the skills that you have. Let's look at where your spiritual gifts are. And let's say, who can we talk to? We don't need to make four missionary journeys to make an impact, but we do need to be welcoming and we do need to have integrity and we do need to get a little bit uncomfortable. This is one story of one person who did that. Our Bible is full of them. If you need more encouragement, we'll give you a list. But that's my challenge to you this morning. How can we take this message that we have, that we hold so dear, that we talk about being so important, and make sure everybody we know at least gets a chance to hear about it? Amen? Okay, let's pray together as the worship team comes up. God, thanks so much for today. God, sometimes we pray and we're thankful for the responsibility and the opportunity that we have to serve and worship and to be disciples and to go out. And God, I just pray that when we pray those things that we would have the strength to know that we can do it, that we would have people around us like Paul or Barnabas or James or Peter to come into our lives and say, you can do it. You're doing the right thing. God, I pray that as a church family, we would rally around each other that we would keep each other accountable both to the message, to ourselves, but also encourage each other that, hey, we can, we can do this. And God, I pray that in moments of discomfort, in moments that we feel that you're leading us somewhere else, that, God, there would be a little voice in our head, the Holy Spirit sitting on our shoulders and saying, you can do it. This is what you're called to do. This is what you're made for. Do your part, and we'll do our part. God, it's hard to trust sometimes. It's hard to get uncomfortable. It's hard to know whether we're doing the right thing. But Lord, I just pray that you would put on our hearts what we're supposed to be doing. Short-term, long-term, in the moment, God, just don't leave us so that we know that as we talk about you and your son, that we're doing what we're called to do by you. God, I pray that you would bless Everybody that's here this morning in person, those that are online, God, prepare the hearts of those that are in our lives that don't know this message is coming. Prepare those, the hearts of those in our lives in, in this town and in our region and in our country, Lord, of those who need to hear about you. God, we need your wisdom. We need your guidance. We need your help with this. We don't want to be haughty about it. We don't want to be prideful. We don't want our egos to get in the way. We don't want our fears to get in the way. So, Lord, we just pray that you would be with us the whole time so that we would know the best way to spread your name to the people in our context. In Jesus' name.